Well, welcome to another edition of GW Unspoken, and my name is Gary, and tonight we're going to talk about the things that people don't talk about, but probably should. And the big area we're going to talk about tonight is connections. And so no matter where you are, whether you're on the way to work or ready to face your school day, if you're a child or a teen and you're tuning into this, I want you to think about what it is to have a true connection. And I guess what the real value of a true connection is, because it is now harder than ever to have a true connection, especially amongst family members. The divorce rate is huge. There's usually problems with peers. There's underlying issues with our work or our stresses of our every single day. Time seems scarce. Money sometimes can, see, can also seem scarce as well. And also for people in big corporates, we understand that even our busy day becomes busier and therefore time is that lack of commodity that we have. In fact, there's a lot of people out there who have lots of money but having hardly any time. And it's also the other way around. People have lots of time but don't have lots of money. And what does that mean? It means that if we have busy times, our kids are often left alone. And what do our kids do when they're left alone? They often go towards a device. And that might be social media and it might be gaming. And all those things can equal trouble, especially when they have addicted. I guess the biggest thing we think about is that a lot of times these days I've heard where parents will give a device to a child and they will have that device in their bedroom with the door shut, alone in their bedroom, and the commonality of our parents are thinking that at least they're safe. At least they're not having drugs, at least they're not having alcohol. We know where they are, they're safe. And yes, they might be on a device too much, but it's in a safe environment and they are here. I can just knock on the door and they're here alone. They are not out there having drugs, sex, alcohol, they're safe. Well, think again, because the more people are addicted on technology, the more it opens up the dopamine pathways to be addicted to other things. And that means things such as more social media, more gaming, more risky behaviours, gambling, pornography, Alcohol, drugs, and the big one now is online shopping. It's actually a double dopamine hit. Not only do they get to scroll through things they want to buy online, but our children are also getting a double hit because they get that lovely dopamine hit from finding what they want and ordering it, and a second dopamine hit from when it arrives at the door. The front door's open, that's the second dopamine hit. And people who are actually addicted to their technology are now recordedly about four times a chance of being addicted to these other things. We wouldn't give unfettered access to alcohol, drugs or pornography. So why are we giving unfettered access 24-7 to our devices? I guess the other thing we need to understand is the neurostructure of our brains, especially as we get at our late childhood to our early teens, then our pathways become completely different. Pruning starts to happen, we start focusing on the things we really want and our amygdala pathways, the MIGI, the thing that actually helps with our fight, flight, freeze and now fawn, fires up. So what does that mean? Have you ever had a team that goes from zero to hell very fast and you wonder what the heck's going on there? Why can't they just regulate themselves? Why have they just gone off so fast? It's because their pathways are built that way. You ever wonder why our early teens are now starting to push back? 
challenge the boundaries, even as early as 10, 11, 12-year-old, their brains are being sped up. The dopamine is pumped up through social media and through a lot through and a lot of times through gaming. And this is actually rewiring our brain. We know our brain is plastic. It actually changes based on our neural structure and our experiences every single day. We know that we can try and calm ourselves. And in the heat of the moment, our Miggy can fire up. And we can either fight, bring on and argue with our teen or our child. We can flight, we run away. All right. Or sometimes we just freeze and go completely blank. I wonder, those listeners out there, what are you? If you think about a situation you might have had with a conflict, with a peer, someone at work, maybe a child or teen, a family member, what are most of your, most of the times, what is your reaction? Which one do you do? We know that in the heat of battle, the hardest thing and probably the worst thing we can do is fight with our child and our children. It has no win. It's a, it's a loss. It's a, it's a lose-lose situation. It actually disconnects us even further. It doesn't mean that we allow the behaviour, but it does mean that there's a time off or a time out when we come back when those amygdala or the amygdala pathways have actually cooled down. So how do we stop this from happening? I guess stereotypically, when you think about it, our boys are completely addicted to the gaming with the testosterone being built and the highly risk behaviours happening in their frontal lobe often switched off because their brain is still developing. Sorry, boys out there and men, it seems to be developing a lot slower than the girls. It's hard for the guys to be not addicted to things that are giving them credibility. We know that gaming has now like an 80% success rate. So it's addicting our boys and girls who play, but stereotypically our boys. They want to win. They want to be macho with our testosterone. They're connecting probably from their headphones. They get that dopamine hit there as well. It's like triple dopamine. But when they lose a certain stage or can't continue to move forward, the games are built so that 80% of the time the success is just around the corner. So they stay on and they stay on and they stay on. What about our girls? Stereotypically, the, re- the research is now saying that girls are addicted to social media. They're natural connectors natural communicators and again boys can have that as well but stereotypically it's our girls who are on our on the social media and the instant scroll going down listening to people listen to actually some of the conversations that are happening suddenly being blocked suddenly being taken off a group and ostracized then self-doubt questioning themselves is it me what have i done wrong and then sleepless nights can actually occur in schools I've been a part of, school, some students don't even turn up to school. They're worried and concerned that they've done something wrong and they're not part of the group and they could be bullied. So what are some strategies to connect to the brain? Well, first of all, I want to quickly outline some of the negatives that happen with our technology. And we know technology can be positive and we live on it every day. Our phone now can do a, multiple, a multitude of things. We can text, we can email, we can take photos. There's so many things. We can buy things off our mobile phone. We can take videos of experiences. But the problem is when that becomes an addiction, a lot of things can happen to our kids and even ourselves. Some of these could be increased stress and anxiety because we had a child 
well, probably a teen, probably grade eight. And at one of the schools I was at, this child's phone actually became damaged. One of her peers accidentally spilled water on it. The phone was busted for about three days. And that student actually sent me an email and said, I was almost sick of you fathering me or trying to father me about, you know, telling me how bad phones are for me and addiction is bad for me. But now I realise the positives of not having a phone. And one of them was I'm not actually staying awake looking for the blue light or listening to the message ding and hoping that I've got an interesting message to listen. So sleep disturbances is a big one that's affecting our teens. They're often staying up later and therefore they're coming to school in a rush. They're not having a healthy breakfast or breakfast at all. They're sometimes coming to being woken up in the middle of that REM sleep. So teachers have got a massive job ahead of them to try and even keep them engaged, even at the start of the day. There's that digital addiction we talked about. It can be detrimental to a student's overall or kids' overall mental health. We've heard of people using or being on Fortnite at a younger age of around six and seven. It is just crazy how that's just changing all those neural pathways for those poor kids. And we wonder why they can't come down for us. Why would they calm down? They are completely fired up from those neural structures. They have a reduced attention span. It's hard to help them focus for a sustained long period of time. I've had a, a, a heated argument or a, one time when I was a head of department where an elderly teacher who I was working with said to me, we have to actually get these kids to learn to listen. And I was saying they are so pumped up with technology now, we have to change the way we engage our kids because they're not just going to stop and listen. Yes, listening is an art, listening is a skill. It's probably one of our most important soft skills along with empathy. But if they're not going to, you cannot teach kids necessarily to listen for long periods of time because their attention span is now not there. It is shortened through the use of technology. What about critical thinking? Technology can limit cognitive development because we rely on it. They can solve problems straight away. Even our memory. We used to remember phone numbers, six or seven numbers to remember. Our mobile phones now are 10 numbers deep. How many mobile phone numbers right now do you know? Off by heart, aside your own, how many can you recall? Or is it just, hey Siri, call such and such? Or it's straight away in your phone book on your phone and it's on speed dial? There's plenty more stress anxiety that is caused by an addiction to technology. The pressure to try and respond to messages or not say the wrong thing or always be ready for the call, not go to sleep early. I've heard of people be on the phone as in kids in age ages around 10 years old where a message is going off at 10, 10, 30 at night and parents thinking there's nothing wrong with that or parents not even being aware of that. That's poor. That's poor. It also helps or affects, well, it doesn't help, but it probably does the adverse effect of that. It stops our physical health, all right? Obesity, poor pro- posture from leaning over, all those musculoskeletal issues. Our physical health is very, very closely connected to our brain health. In fact, there's now research being shown where doctors are saying that there's a spur being grown, which is at the top of the back of our spine, sort of at the base of our brain, where because we're leaning over so much, the, the bone is actually starting to pierce or mould above the skin so people can see a spur. Imagine what the next 10 years of that looks like. It has a negative impact on memory. We're not sleeping enough, then we're not actually storing our memories. 
And like I said, the phone takes away all those things that we need to for our short-term memory. Working for a neuroscience mob not long ago, we worked with a number of schools, about eight schools from primary and secondary. And what we found was that half the students had half the capacity of their working memory. And we believe technology has taken over a lot of those reasons why. Social isolation can happen. It can make you feel lonely, make you feel isolated, make you feel withdrawn. Um, maybe you find it hard to have those face-to-face interactions because you're not used to doing it and our social cognition can actually go down. That self-comparison of images that we have, especially with young girls these days, can affect their emotional, have emotional challenges and that can affect their self-esteem and mental health. Sometimes it's information overload. Some people are stressing too much because it's difficult for individuals to sort of sort through the process or information effectively and quickly because there's too much information given us at too far, too fast. And there's plenty more. There's heaps, there's heaps of adverse effects that have happened from the inclusion of technology. So what are the cues? What are the strategies to connect? And these are my three that I really like people to think about and try and use within their families. Number one, understand the fight, flight and freeze. And now there's a new one for one. But even if you look at the fight, flight and freeze, what is yours? What is your reaction to most things that you think is a perceived trauma or scare, scare in your life or things that may happen to you? What is your child? What is your teen? What is your significant other? What are the people around your work? How do they react to something that can cause them trauma? Number two, know how the amygdala works that fight, flight or freeze response in your brain. Understand it. Understand this. And this is a game changer for myself. And I take this to work every single day. And with the parents I work with, the corporates I work with, and especially the kids I work with, both at home and at school. Know the amygdala. Know the process of the brain. Know that our thinking part of our brain, our logical reasoning, switches off when we are fired up. When our amygdala, our emotional core of our brain is fired up, we cannot think. We cannot focus properly. There is no decision-making skills. Has there been a time in your life when you've actually gone away and had an argument with somebody and then two hours, four hours, half a day, and a day later you've gone, what the heck was that all about? What did I lose it for? What was going on there? It's because of the amygdala. It shuts our thinking part of our brain off. And we can't concentrate. We can't actually make those logical decisions. So sometimes that time off is a strategy where we need to do it even though we don't want to do it at the time. Sometimes it's great just to have your own time, your own space, same with the other person you're talking to or arguing with or having a conflict with, just so that amygdala can calm down, make those neural pathways connect again with your thinking brain and then you can actually logically talk through. And the third thing I want you to actually focus on this week is to think about using the word Miggy with the young kids, with the teens. We've seen it before. I've seen it before with kids actually. That's it. My Miggy's fired up. I can't talk to you right now. I'm leaving. And deep down you're like, oh, I just want to get to the bottom of this, if that's your personality especially. But also (laughs) when you walk away you're thinking that's amazing they can actually use that skill to say, Oh, okay, I'm not ready now, and they've actually named it. You start knowing this process, it becomes annoying, but it's helpful. It becomes annoying because you know that when you're in a heated argument and you're fired up, you know the neural structures of your brain is 
oh, my gosh, I know I can feel myself getting cranky here. My amygdala is fired up. Chances are I'm not going to make very good or I'm going to make rash decisions because that frontal lobe is now getting switched off. Name the Miggy. Talk to you. Talk to your kids about it. Talk to the people around you who you know about it. Let them know this basic structure of what happens, cause and effect of when we have a perceived trauma because that can have a massive bearing on your connectivity. Know the patterns. Know how the amygdala works. Name the amygdala. And if you know the brain and how that works and you know what people's triggers are, then you can also help to reconnect a lot easier. We're going to delve deeper into this in our next podcast and I hope you can join us then. But thank you for joining us on GW Unspoken.